Ladies and gentlemen, I am joined by the founder of the Hope Foundation, an inspirational lady, Maureen Forrest. You're very welcome, Maureen, to Ireland Calls. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's my pleasure. You're Irish. What part of Ireland are you from? I am from beautiful County Cork in the um, southern most part of our beautiful country. Uh, I'm from East Cork in a little place called Mogili. That's not far from where I come from in Cove. No, no, we're almost neighbours. We are neighbours. Just (laughs) separated by a few miles, right? (laughs) That's all, that's all. And you're the founder of the Hope Foundation. Tell us what exactly is that and where is it? Yeah, well, Hope is based in Cork, actually. The head, head office is in Cork. But our work uh, is in India, in mostly in West Bengal, in Kolkata. And uh, I founded it in 1999, which is, we're actually celebrating our 25th year this year. Ooh, wow. And of course, my plans way back then were, were just for a very small, just I think one home was always envisioned that we would set up. Uh, but it has really grown. It has a mind of its own and just took off. What prompted you in the first place to start this foundation? Yeah, I suppose I could really nearly go back to when I was going to school, and I think it happened to a lot of people way back then when a missionary nun came in and told, spoke to us glowingly about their work in Africa, mostly in those days. But like most people, we decided to go ahead, get married, have our own families, but it was only in later years, actually, when my sister Burr went and volunteered with an organization called Gold. And she went into went to Ethiopia, and then at that stage, my family were quite young. It was something was always on my mind, and knew I couldn't do it, uh, couldn't travel at that particular time. But I did do what I could do, which was become a fundraiser and volunteered to raise as much funds as I possibly could to help the work my sister was doing at that time in the Ethiopian famine. I've heard somewhere that you met Mother Teresa on the streets. Did you walk no, with her? I actually met Mother Teresa a few times, but I met her always in Mother House, in, in, in the house in the community where she lives in, in Calcutta. Uh, I had the pleasure of actually meeting her a, a couple of times. Um, uh, no inspiring lady. Um, somebody that you felt when you were, even though she was a tiny little person, that you had this great, she had this great presence. And um, uh, I spoke to her because there's 12 in my family, which is another reason probably why caring and sharing uh, isn't such a big deal to our family because we always had somebody to care for and we always had somebody that we had to share with. But uh, she was talking about, uh, I was was telling her that I had two sisters in community life, uh, two sisters, nuns. And then she was saying, oh, they should be over here with me and helping the work that we are doing. So at that stage, I was with I was a volunteer with school. And I think she found it quite, quite uh, sort of unusual that as a mother, I would leave my children. They were older enough or older at that stage and come and volunteer and work with the children. She sort of encouraged me to continue and to come back and to help the children, that there were so many there and that they needed a vast amount of support and help. That mu- that must have been unbelievable to meet and chat with Mother Teresa, and you definitely followed her advice. Can you give us a mm. sense 
of what the conditions are like for the people there. Yeah, I suppose when I went there, it was over 30 years ago now, I was with, as I said, a volunteer with another organisation before I set up Hope. And I think to me it was, I can only describe it as totally just, nothing could have prepared me for the horror that I found that was on the streets and in the slums of Calcutta. It was totally overwhelming and so much so really that while I was there, I really felt I can never come back here. I could never, ever, you know, I couldn't see what I could do to help the people. And I stayed there, but I found it very, very difficult that first time, very difficult to be looking at so many children and looking I remember going into a room one day and there was children, a group of children in the room. And I was looking at them and I said, what is different about these little children? And after a while, I said, it's their eyes. They all had these dead eyes. And I spoke to somebody and I said, what is that? And what I discovered then, which I discovered and, and after that, found it out many, many a time, was that all these little children had been very badly, uh, both physically and sexually abused. And, you know, it was like as if the light had just gone out of their eyes, that their little bodies had taken so much that there was no more that they could tolerate. That haunted me, and, and yet at the same time frightened me. And it was only when I came back and I said, I don't think I can ever go back. I don't think I... I'm physically strong. I wouldn't be able. But then I thought I was being selfish. I was only thinking of myself. And it was a few years later when I went to my daughter. I had one beautiful daughter. And uh, we always went on a holiday together every year to different places. And that particularly, about three years after I was in Calcutta, Louise said she'd love to see India. But I said, I won't be taking you to Calcutta. We'll go to, you know, the nicer parts of India, like the Taj Mahal and the, the sites that most people go and see. But when I was in Calcutta, something just kept calling me back. And uh, we did go back, myself and Louise, and that's when we decided that we could do something and do something positive and set up the Hope Foundation. And at that stage, I just wanted it to be one home for about 16 children because the homes really were nothing, you know, they were bad, really. You know, they didn't have the some of the homes were fine, but the majority of them really were very all basic. And the ch- there was no unconditional love. The children weren't loved. And uh, that's when we decided we would set up just one home to give them a home as close to a home as that we give to our own children. And how many homes are there today? Eleven. Yes, but they're, they're different. You know, there's a mother and child unit in that as well. Yes. And we have a drugs rehabilitation and we also, uh, the, they're all part of, of the home. And how many people overall are involved in HOPE? Well, if you're talking about staff now in India, just to give you a scale of the size of it, we have over 400 staff now employed in India. I always firmly believe that if we were going to go into this work, we had to do it right. We had to employ people that knew what they were doing, and we had to employ people that were relevant to the job that they were in. I mean, we had a small hospital there where we have uh, fully skilled consultants, doctors. So that, that to me was the way it wasn't going to be run. Uh, we have wonderful volunteers, and I've been one myself and still am. 
But we needed all these, we needed full-time staff on the ground, especially caring for the children. You can't have people just coming in, dipping in and out of children's lives, as we know, you know, being siblings ourselves and having children. Yes. Uh, that was vitally important that we had constant house mothers and carers with the children. So I sometimes look back on the 25 years and I wonder how all that really happened. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Is there a branch in the United States? Yes, we have set up a, a, a fundraising branch. I mean, our plan would be our whoever uh, it comes after me would uh, grow it uh, to an extent that it would be. But we do have our 501C. We are registered and we have uh, quite a number of um, trusts and foundations that donate to our, our charity. But uh, can I mention about the event? Celebrating oh. 25 years. It's your 25th yes. anniversary. Tell us about that. When is it and where uh, so is it? That's happening on the 31st of January in the American Irish Historical Society. So it's, it's sort of more, this is, it's honoring two of our long-term board members who have been with us uh, since we set up in, in New York. This is more kind of a re-engagement. We're trying to get back. A lot of our events were cancelled due to COVID, as you can imagine. Yes. And now is our time for sort of re-engaging. Unfortunately, I cannot travel to this particular event, but I, we will be, we are planning on having another one later and I will most certainly be at, be at that one. So but we will have an Irish, we will have our, uh, one of our directors, uh, Maura, Maura will be present at it. Oh no, I'm very disappointed that I, I, this time I just cannot make it. It's just, I, I'm actually, I'll be going to India again. There is something that has come up and I, I'm, most of my time and work now is focused on what we do in India, actually. I have. I've retired from the day-to-day operations of Hope here at, at home, still involved in the fundraising and always there to give a talk and a chat to go to schools. I have two granddaughters, uh, one that, that in school that came with her school last year, and this year uh, my other the second granddaughter is coming with her school. So we take a lot of school students uh, to Calcutta, and uh, we've up to 400 pre-COVID, so we're getting quite actually almost up to that number again and we were we are hoping that some students from uh, the states might join us in 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 doing this journey it is the most amazing life-changing experience for students i found that of all the work i've done that impacts here you know with the fundraising and that's positive it's actually the effect it has on the students that have traveled to calcutta it is really you know, I meet them. I mean, we've been doing that now for 20 years. And when I meet some of the older students who have now moved on to their careers and very much some of them MD CEOs and, uh, you know, in, 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 in whatever they've chosen in their life path. And they always go back to that visit and how that changed their lives. Today's generation, I guess, we have so much we don't realize what it's like not to have and when you go there you see and you realize how lucky you are yes yeah and i and i think yeah it was like that talking about calcutta and how bad it was that time that i first went there and to see the differences and the changes like in calcutta itself as a city when when you take from the airport right into the into the slums yes there are still some very bad slums there but in the slums where we work, the positive is that 
uh, we set up, which was funded by the Irish government, actually, for 10 years, um, a primary health care and basic health care uh, in, in all of those slums. And really the difference that has made to the women's lives in particular, because most of the women back then, you know, they were delivering their babies on the, on the, on the roadside, on uh, you know, in, in hobbles. Whereas now they have been educated and they know they have the resources to now know that they can. there is a hospital, there are maternity hospitals where they go to have their babies. So it's all about education, be it in the basic, uh, what it was back then in healthcare, and then moving on to the education of the children. Like all the children in those slums now where we work, we work in 40, almost 40 slums, they are all going to school. You see them in the morning in their uniforms, all... And to me, it's with great pride that when I see those children leaving their little shanties, I couldn't describe them really because they still live in very, very basic, bad conditions. And they're gleaning in their uniforms and going off to school with great pride. We make sure that we help them then with their homework by setting up little centres where they go after school and we have teachers there. Because obviously you can imagine where they live, they don't have electricity, they don't have anything, they can't even hardly see what, you know, to do their homework. So by going to these little centres, we make sure that they're supported. And we have children now going on to secondary and some, I think we have one or two from that programme going on to university. That must be so rewarding for you. To... It is. It's rewarding oh. seeing the children and what that's the rewarding thing really is. And we have another... Little girl, Mano. Mano was one of our first girls that came into our home. And, oh, it was a terribly sad uh, story. And our, her family went missing and we couldn't trace them. And, oh, I, I think her little brothers died. But Mano stayed with us and she was always a determined little one. She's now got a, a top scholarship to a university in Brussels where she's studying her master's in finance management. Uh, she's got a position already with the HSBC Bank, but now she's going to go on to great things. You know, she's the inspiration for me for what hope is. And the other little ones, another little one, Priyanka, who's got um, studying in hotel management. And she's moving on. She's doing higher studies in manage, in hotel management. Again, she's going to reach reach her full potential. This is what we want from them. We're very bright kids, but unless they get the education, they will never reach their potential. And they won't become a burden to society. They'll become an addition to society. The Hope Foundation is celebrating its 25th anniversary. They're having a celebration yes. at the Irish Historical Centre here in New York on the January, 31st of January. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If people yeah. are unable to attend the celebration, are there other ways people can support and donate? If they can. If they go to our website at www.hopefoundation.ie, they'll get all the details there. www.hopefoundation.ie. Maureen, last August 2023, you were named as Cork Person of the Month for August yes, yes, in Cork, yes, in your home yes, county. Yes. How did that yes. make you feel? Well, I, I think there's always there's something beautiful about being recognised by your own people. You know, it's just, I always find they're probably, I always feel they're probably, they're the people that keep us on the on even keel and keep us grounded. And no, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. I mean, really, I, 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 I just, you know, there are so many wonderful people out there that deserve recognition, and I, I'm just delighted. I suppose too that they choose me for August.
And you touched on a subject. You went around the schools in County Cork and you were sending the kids over to India. You're still doing that over 400, you said, that you have are sending yes, every over the, year. Yes, over the 12 months. Yes, yeah. And uh, that's why this, why I can't go to New York is that my own granddaughter is going to Calcutta with her school, Middleton College, you know, Middleton. Oh, I do. Uh, oh, I do. Yes. So I promised her I would be there for her because my other granddaughter, whom I was there for last year, so I, I oh. had to travel there yeah, early February. I understand that, yes. That, you, that, you do. I was told I would be killed if I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but being a mother and a grandmother myself, I, definitely. I, 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 the usual one, Granny, I will never forgive you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to be opening up her, her little eyes and you're going to be there yes. to hold her hand. That is absolutely yes. amazing. Maureen, I know, I what's know. your hope for the future? It's like family. Your hope is that your family will continue and be strong, you know, and uh, it, it's just a continuation of hope and that we can continue to help the people that we've committed to help to for as long as they need us. You know, the day will come when, when hopefully things in, uh, in the poorer parts of India will improve because India is improving as a country. We know that there are parts of India that are far wealthier than we are, but then there are parts of it that really are totally impoverished. And I think we, I noticed that there is a new um, lower middle class people coming up in India, which, you know, which is what we're all about, is trying to give people education, trying to get them to be self-sufficient and try, and hopefully they will be sustainable without any help from anybody in X number of years to come. Now, that won't happen immediately, but it wouldn't be lovely that if we were there and we could be there until that happened. I read an article that a child should never want for food or be without food. No, a child should never. A child, we should we should live in a world where it should never hurt to be a child. I mean, a child doesn't come into this world to suffer. You know, we we see it. We see it in the war again. We see it. I, I mean, I also worked in Somalia during the famine, and I worked in Rwanda straight after the genocide. And when I see the suffering of the children again, and I mean, we held children literally until they died because they literally we didn't have a bottle just to give them the nourishment to stay alive. Like, you know, it's 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 just and I thought even that that's going back thirty years now again to over thirty years. And I thought, you know, this can continue happening. I thought that's one of my biggest disappointments in life really is to see the war now in Gaza and to see another generation of children having to suffer. To see it in Ukraine, to like this so unnecessary. It's as a result of war. Sometimes you feel it's a little bit forgivable if it's as a result of, uh, you know, the drought. And again, I, you know, you feel it, it's not. It's always bad, but there's something just devastating about war, sufferings and flicks, and mostly it's children. Yes, Maureen, have you any message for uh, listeners all over the world? Yeah, I, I would love to say, you know. I suppose really the world would be in such a better place if we all did just a little. That's all. If everybody just did a little, contributed a little, or, you know, to anybody or to do, you know, it's even in our name, you know, helping just to do a little, to give a little kindness, I think, it's, it's, and to be, you know, to, to make the journey through life a little easier for somebody else. 
Maureen, thank you for chatting with me on Ireland Calls. Thank you for all you do in helping the poorest of the poor and sometimes the forgotten. You're definitely an inspiration to the world and to Cork and to me. I'm wishing you the best always, Maureen. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on and giving me an opportunity to talk a little bit about the work. It's it's my pleasure. I am indeed honoured that you come on the show and talk with me. Thank you. Hello, my name is Clive Anderson and I'm the proud owner of the Pelham Funeral Home. You know, life is full of second chances. But when it comes to funerals, you get only one chance. One chance to say farewell and only one chance to celebrate your loved one's life. Here at Pelham Funeral Home, we have the right people. We make the right suggestions and we take care of you and your loved ones like we did back in Ireland with honesty, integrity and respect. When there are no second chances, don't settle for second best. Contact the Pelham Funeral Home located three miles from Woodlawn and only one mile from New Rochelle at 64 Lincoln Avenue in Pelham, New York or call us at 914-738-1060. That's 914-738-1060. All the best.